Well, good morning, Second Service. Yes, good to see you this morning. We're so glad that you're here at Victory Life, ready to worship the Lord with us this morning. Hey, our, if you're newer here or this is your first time and we don't have any record of your visit, we'd love to have that. Don't worry, if, if you give us your address, we're not going to show up at your house with a pie or anything. We're, we would just love to get some information so we can send you some information regarding the church. The easiest way to do that, since you can't get the seat back in front of you right now, is to head to our website, vlchurch.com. There's a Newsroom tab. You click on that, put in a little information, Pastor Otto, our executive pastor, he would love to send you some information about the church this week, a little bit more about how to get involved and some different ways that we do some ministry here. I'm going to cough for just a minute. No coughing, there's a pandemic on it. Now, I have some things to make mention of you today. Uh, first and foremost, this coming Thursday is the first night of our launch of a young adult ministry known as The Collective. And uh, very exciting. Yeah, you can clap for that. I know I'm clapping. I'm excited about that, and it's going to be a great night. There's so much strength and power in, in, uh, in, in those college-age students meeting together and uh, sharing the Word of God together, worshiping together, not buying into everything that the pulpit has to offer, but saying yes to Jesus. And so The Collective is starting this Wednesday, or Thursday, forgive me, and of course they're starting with Chipotle. Because nothing says Jesus like Chipotle. And so uh, if you've got a young adult in your household that you're encouraging to, uh, to focus on the Lord, you can send them over to the collective. If you are a young adult, just show up. You will be receiving Chipotle. And, uh, of course, we can talk about the Word of God. It's going to be a great evening. It's under the leadership of our youth director, Pastor Aaron, but it's going to be led by some young adults who have been trained here over the course of the last few months. Also, on March 28th, for the first time in a long time, we're just going to baptize people. How does that sound? And so on the 28th, we're going to have a baptism service. We did a baptism service a couple months prior to COVID. We moved to the two services, and then COVID happened. And we're like, how do you baptize people without, you know, I don't know. Anyhow, we're just going to do it, all right, right in this room. If you have not yet followed the Lord in water baptism, we're going to encourage you to, to do that. The easiest way to sign up is to once again head to the website. There's a big banner that says baptism. It's the first thing you see. Click on it. Send us your information. We'll send you a bunch back. There's a baptism class on the 21st between services. We'll answer any questions that you have ahead of time. We would love for you to follow the Lord in water baptism. When we say follow the Lord, that's because Jesus did it. And Jesus commanded it, by the way. And so uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing to be engaged in. So we'd love for you to do that. And it's also historically kind of cool because historically Christians have baptized on Palm Sunday, and the 28th is Palm Sunday, which is great. Uh, at Palm Sunday, uh, let you know Easter is just around the corner, and we have some lovely Easter invitations that you can grab on your way out today. The ushers are going to be uh, right outside the doors with those Easter invites. And so if you have a loved one, a neighbor, maybe a lost sheep, somebody who you know hasn't gone to church in a really long time, that you want to encourage to hear the good news of the gospel, go ahead and grab one of those Easter invites. Get that into their hand. We're really cool now. There's a QR code on the back. We have QR codes, Bentley. Did you know that? And you can scan that QR code. They can scan, find out all about the church, and they can look at the protocols. And you can tell them it's going to be safe and distance, but let's invite a lot of people to come worship the Lord on Easter. Finally, today, of course, you can continue to give to Victory Life Church. You've been so faithful. God bless you. Uh, there's three ways to do that. You can text to give. You can get online and give. Or if you brought what Pastor Otto calls a good old-fashioned check, uh, there's going to be ushers on your way out this morning. When you grab your Easter invite, you can just drop something in the basket, all right? So I think that's everything. And you didn't come here to hear me give announcements. You came here to worship the Lord. So why don't you stand? And let's pray and invite the presence of the Lord into this place. Heavenly Father, 
you sent Jesus to this earth, and he said, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Lord, would you make that promise true today here? Lord Jesus, would you be present with us? We're going to glorify your name, and we know that to glorify your name, Lord, you come and touch our hearts. We pray that exchange would happen in this place right here, right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Sometimes it's fun just to sing the creeds of the church, isn't it? With a rock and guitar rift. I liked it. I liked it. So glad you're here today. A couple of housekeeping things to get you aware of. You can be turning to Matthew chapter 3, by the way, as I'm making you aware of some of our housekeeping items. Uh, we have been giving away ESV study Bibles the past number of weeks, and you poor second service folks, the first service people keep taking all of them, all right? Now, for those of you who have been here, you know we spent seven weeks talking about the Word of God and its effect in our lives, and we understand that a lot of times folks just don't have a good study Bible to read, and it's tough for them to get into certain books of the Bible or even get started at all. And so if you fall into that camp, we would love to just give you one. No questions asked, no sign-ups, you won't receive any emails. Just grab a Bible on the Welcome Center on your way out today. And uh, we'll just continue to stock those up because we'd like the Word of God to be read in every single home and have all the great effects that the Lord has for us through His Word. Also want to make mention that in just a few weeks, parents everywhere applaud, we will be reopening our nurseries. And so those five and unders are going to have a place to go and hear and learn the Word of God. Many of you who have worked in the nurseries before and volunteered in that vibrant ministry uh, you received emails this week, but if you have not ever worked in the nurseries and you would have an interest in serving in one of the services, we would love to get you trained and get you equipped to pour the Word of God and to pour love into the lives of those children who need it and who all the time ask, when's my class starting again? Well, it's starting soon. Uh, so if you have an interest, we would love for you to indicate that either this week by calling the church office or emailing us. We would love to get those back up and running in full strength, and you can pick your level of commitment. If you want to be one time a month, that would be fine. If you could do two times a month, that would be even better. 
if you really feel a call to ministering to young children, and you would say, I would serve every week, and then I would go to the opposite service. Uh, we would love for folks who feel called to use that as their weekly ministry to be able to do that. And so we're going to reopen those nurseries. They're going to add so much vibrancy to the life of our church, and uh, we're really excited about that. So let us know if you're interested in helping us with that. Are you in Matthew chapter 3? Well, I mentioned we completed a series on the Word of God, seven weeks. We're going to do a four-week mini-series here on an aspect of the Scriptures that don't often get talked about a ton, or maybe they just get talked about tangentially. But before we do that, I need to let you know something deeply personal about me. It's going to get us set off on the right foot today. Here's the deeply personal tidbit of information. I always put $50 on free parking. Always. Now, for those of you who don't know what free parking is or don't remember, free parking is that space on the Monopoly board that's a waste of everybody's time. It's that space where you land on it and nothing happens. Why would they do that? We want a dynamic game of Monopoly. We need a game of Monopoly that really matters. And there should be a place where you get free money for just whatever reason. So we put $50 in free parking at the Casa de Skiff. And then we have other conditions by which more money can be added into free parking. And if you land on free parking, you get the kitty. You know you want to play Monopoly this way, don't you? You know. Now, we play Monopoly in my house because I, I, I tell you the truth, we can play it in under 75 minutes. True story. Oh, yeah. We keep our nose to the grindstone when we play Monopoly. We play all the time. We love Monopoly, but there's something about every Monopoly game that I know to be true. There are house rules, right? Just like the $50 in free parking. You have a way that your household plays Monopoly. I have a way that my household plays Monopoly. And the only thing that comes into contact between those two is whosoever house is, you play their house rules, right? So if you come in my house... You can feel free to raid my refrigerator. You can stay for as long as you like, but you will play by my Monopoly rules. That's what I insist on, okay? Eat anything, stay as long as you like, but when we play Monopoly, you play by my house rules because you're sitting at my table, and that's the way it goes. You're like, how is he going to relate this to the Scripture this morning? You know what? I'm not sure, but we're going to try, all right? I'm going to relate this to the Scripture because we have all been invited to a place at the table of Jesus Christ. We have all been given a spot in his household. Maybe if we take it from a, a huge holistic standpoint, we've been invited into the kingdom of God. And we sometimes get this idea in the New Testament that there are no rules of engagement, that there are no rules, that there are no house rules, that, that Jesus abolished so much of, or, or fulfilled, I should say, so much of the, of the, uh, of the purity laws and, and, and things of the Old Testament that, that we don't need them anymore. Well, Jesus actually instituted some things. He brought forward some rules or some standards for coming to his table. And what we want to do over the course of the next few weeks is describe a rule or a standard within being a Christian that's mentioned 93 times in the New Testament. But I bet you've never heard a four-week series on it. Maybe one sermon here, one sermon there. We're going to be spending four weeks talking about the aspects of baptism. The aspects of baptism. Because it's, it, it's the house rules. It's something that Jesus put in place that says, if you want to engage in, in my faith, if you want to believe in me, this is the entry point. And we're going to talk about four aspects of baptism that are spoken up throughout the Scripture. And I tell you, we're going to have a lot to talk about. Here's the great thing about coming to Jesus' table. If you come to his table, you can complete the game in under 75 minutes. No. If you come to the table of Jesus, you receive the benefits of what he institutes. And there are benefits. 
There are ways in which coming to the Lord's table and playing by his rules actually benefit us. And we're going to see over the course of the next four weeks that this aspect, this concept of baptism and the aspects of it are going to feed into our life of faith, even if we were baptized 30, 40, 50, or even 60 years ago. But let's start where the story of baptism starts in Scripture. And that's right here in Matthew chapter 3, verse 1 and following, where we learn about that guy that nobody would want to go to his church, John the Baptist. Here we go, John the Baptist, verse 1 of Matthew chapter 3, the first talking about baptism in the Scripture. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, when Isaiah said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now, John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Yum. Then Jerusalem and all of Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And don't presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees, and every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Amen. We can leave now. No, we're not going to leave now. That's some fiery preaching, right? I'm sure John said it with a little more fire than I read it. This is a unique character in Scripture, and it's a unique thing that he's doing. But this baptism that he engages in, and this preaching that he engages in, and, and these signs that he gives... They are meant to begin this concept of baptism for the reader as well as the person who was living there that day. So if we're going to understand what baptism means to us as Christians, we should start here and maybe talk about this man, his message, and his method. All right, so let's talk about the man, the message, and the method, and then let's talk about what that might mean to us today. First, the man, John the Baptist. Now, Baptist, as a a name for somebody, has never been used in history before this guy. In fact, Christianity created the noun baptism. All right? Baptize was a word. It means to drain or to sink or to plunge beneath the water. But the idea that baptize could be a noun baptism or baptize could be a, a name, that's unique to Christianity. But Matthew sort of assumes that we know who this guy is. And you're like, how could he assume that? Well, he doesn't really assume that we would know. He would assume that his first readers knew it. Because John was a pretty famous guy, a pretty important guy. And we know that from a number of different ways. First and foremost, we know that John was a very important character because the things that John did are related in Josephus' antiquities. He was a historian, and he wrote about 70 years after John, and he wrote all about what John did. John was a very important character. But we also have some clues from within the Bible that John's message and what he did was not just nine people going out to the wilderness to get baptized, but it was a huge regional movement. We know that because later on in the scriptures, when Paul goes to Ephesus in the book of Acts, which is in modern-day Turkey, he says to these believers in Jesus, hey, have you been baptized? And they said, yeah, yeah, we've been baptized. They said, well, what type of baptism were you baptized with? Try saying that five times fast. And this is what they said, we've been baptized with the baptism of John. In Ephesus in Turkey, hundreds of miles away, okay? 
So John had something that was big going on, but we also know just from this passage that something big was going on. It says all of Jerusalem and Judea and the surrounding country were going out to him. So if John's baptizing in the Jordan River, here's your geography for the day. You're welcome. Look in the back of your ESV study Bible for the map. Uh, Here's your geography for the day. If he's baptizing in the Jordan River in in the wilderness, John's at least 25 miles from Jerusalem. Is that about right, Phil? You've been in the Holy Land 25 miles? Thank you. I know you walked that in a penitent way multiple times. So anyhow, uh, I'm kidding. Bill, Bill's our missions director, former missionary, and, and, and lived there for a, a long time. But you're at least 25 miles from the Jordan River. Now imagine that for just a minute. Imagine that, that you have to go on at least a four-day journey to hear somebody preach. And you had trouble getting up for church this morning. I mean, Really? Four days, probably at least. I mean, if you're really if you're really moving, maybe three. You obviously don't have kids with you or any animals or anybody who likes like living in a good way. But so at least three days, but maybe four, maybe five. This guy is a phenomenon. They're going out to hear him preach. There's no cars. Most people don't have any horses to ride. They're walking to go listen to this guy. And the final clue that we know that John was a big deal is he was preaching against Herod Antipas, who was one of the leaders in Perea, and Herod Antipas was having an affair, and John was not pleased with this, all right? And he was preaching against it, and he is so important, his message is so powerful, that Herod Antipas has to put him in prison. He is that important that the king has to put him in prison because he can't preach that anymore. So is John a powerful guy? In terms of what he's preaching. Sometimes we have this picture that because he liked locusts, nobody liked to listen to him, okay? But it's not that way at all. It's a very famous movement. It's a very big movement. And it better be because he's getting us ready for Jesus. And that's what Matthew tells us. Matthew inserts Isaiah here and says, This is the guy who the prophet Isaiah foretold would prepare the way of the Lord and make straight paths for him. The expectation within Judaism that a Messiah, a Savior, a leader who was going to come and make things right between them and God was going to come, was going to be preceded by this prophet right here. And Matthew says, this is the guy. This is a great Messianic prophecy, by the way. Like when people go through Messianic prophecies, like we know that Jesus was the Messiah, the Savior of the world, they often forget that this phenomenon that was John came first, and that was predicted in the Old Testament. Not only that, but John dresses in camel's hair and wears a leather belt around his waist and operates in the wilderness. He didn't just do that to be weird, all right? That's what the prophet Elijah looked like. And there was an expectation within Judaism that Elijah would come again before the, before the Lord would come. And so John is looking like Elijah. And finally, he ate locusts and wild honey. And I had to look this up because it's bothered me for years. Locusts were actually considered a good meal in antiquity. In antiquity. They were considered a good meal. They used them in all types of different preparations. So it wasn't like he was out there just dying of hunger all the time. It was actually something that was all right. And, of course, who wouldn't want wild honey as long as you stay away from the bees? All right? So John's got this persona going on. He looks like the prophet Elijah. He was predicted by the prophet Isaiah. And he's getting people ready for the Lord Jesus. That's his function as a human being. Now, he served that function in the time of Jesus. In those days, said Matthew. But he serves that function for us today because he's at, the, he's at the front of Jesus' ministry in all four Gospels. Here is John the Baptist. He needs to be included. What he said and what he did needs to be recorded because the readers of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John 
need to have their hearts ready to receive Jesus, and John's message is going to get us there. So let's talk about that message for just a minute. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, who said that besides John? Jesus. Their message is the same. You could turn over to Matthew 4 right now and test me in this, but if you turn over to Matthew 4, Jesus is going to begin his ministry saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, I'm not going to bore you with all the details about repent, but I'm just going to say to repent is to turn and to change one's mind. Those are the ways that they're used in the Hebrew and the Greek, the two original uh, concept, the two original languages of the Scripture. To turn and change one's mind. Now, what are they turning from and what are they changing their mind about? Their favorite restaurant? I mean, are they moving from Outback to Longhorn? What are they doing here? No, we get a clue from the Scriptures. It says they went down into the water confessing their sins. So what they're turning from, what they're changing their mind about, is their moral conduct. That's what they're changing their mind about, and that's what they're turning from. Their standards, their justifications, their ways of doing things, they're saying, you know what, those stink. I have this life that's been given to me by this God who's over here, but I've been on this path doing things my way. I'm going to turn towards him. I'm going to change my mind and say that isn't valuable anymore. What he has for me is valuable. That isn't right for me anymore. What he has for me is right. And I'm confessing by coming out and listening to John and going down to the waters of baptism that I'm making this turn towards God and I am renouncing those sins. It's a a baptism that they're engaging in of moral repentance because John is calling them to repentance. Not only that, John says the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And yes, it was. Jesus had been born. The kingdom of heaven was right there. God establishing his reign in the hearts of men and women was about to take place. The kingdom of heaven was there. It was a timely message. It was timely. Because he was trying to get the Jewish people, through whom God had done so much of his holy history, to be ready for the Messiah that they've been waiting for for a millennia. The timely message. The kingdom of heaven is now, folks. Don't wait. Turn your life towards God so you can make a straight path for him into your life because he's here now. Now, if that's where the story would end, we would have a lot to go with, but that's not where the story ends. Then the Pharisees and Sadducees come out and things get all weird. It says the Pharisees and Sadducees came out to the baptism of John. And John says, you vipers! So I'm going I'm to suppose, as many of the commentators have supposed, that they were coming out to observe the baptism of John, not trying to engage in the baptism of John. Because imagine for just a moment, do you guys remember altar calls? Do you remember that, that, that thing we used to do? Or I would preach, and, and we'd give you an opportunity to come and pray and kneel before the Lord, have the elders pray for you maybe, and, and sort of do a physical thing to match what was taking on spirit. Remember those things called altar calls we used to do before COVID? Remember those? We'll do those again real soon. Remember those? Imagine for a moment I preached a sermon. I'm like, why don't you come to the altar? If you're serious about this today, you come and make a physical manifestation of how serious you are. You come and pray with us right here. Come on, and you start coming up the center aisle. Oh, not you, you viper. Right? would do that? So, so what we're assuming is as they were coming, they were listening to John, which might have put them in position to be ready for Jesus, but they weren't engaged on a heart level with what John was preaching, these Pharisees and Sadducees. They're observing. Now, the Pharisees and Sadducees, they were the political slash religious parties of ancient Israel. They had power. They had influence. They had control of the hearts and minds of the people one way or the other. 
And John's not appreciating that they're coming and watching. And he's saying, who warned you to come out here and get your heart ready for Jesus? Because your hearts aren't ready for Jesus. That's my paraphrase. Who warned you to come out here and listen to me? He says, you need to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. He's saying, if you truly had your hearts ready for God up there on your pedestal, looking down on the people down here, if you truly had your hearts ready for God, it would be evident in that you would change your moral conduct. You would bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And then he goes on to say, it's not good enough to be religious. It's not good enough to say, we're Abraham's children. We're God's holy people just by association. Your bloodline is not going to get this done for you when the Messiah comes. It's not. If God wanted to raise up stones to fulfill his promises to Abraham and say, these stones are your children now, Abraham, God could do it. So don't think that just by being a religious person that you're going to be good for the Lord that's coming. And you better be careful Because trees that don't bear fruit get cut down. And the axe is already at the root of you, Pharisees and Sadducees. There's a lot of people who think that this is like end times judgment that that John is pronouncing. I don't. I don't. Just from the context, John is looking at them going, you as God's people are not bearing fruit, and so God's going to use somebody else. That's the wrath that's to come. Seven, just, just 40 years after this, in 70 A.D., the temple is going to get destroyed, and the Jewish people are going to be scattered. But Christianity is going to burgeon and grow, and a bunch of fishermen are going to win people to Jesus. Folks who weren't Pharisees and weren't Sadducees, these are the people who are bearing fruit in keeping with repentance, not the religious establishment. The axe is already at the root of the tree. Now, you can read the rest of Matthew to see if you believe my theory about this. But I think I'll win. The axe is already at the root of the tree, guys. This whole religious thing is not going to get it done. God doesn't need one more church-going pew sitter. He needs people whose entire lives, hearts, and minds are turned towards the one that gave them breath. And if you want to be ready for the Messiah, if you want to be ready for Jesus to enter into your life, if you want to be ready to bear fruit for God, you need to repent, says John. And, of course, then there's the method. There is the inconvenient, humbling, impractical, symbolic method. Come down here and get wet. And just when you think you're wet enough, confess your sins, and then I'm going to dunk you. I mean, I don't like being dunked by anybody. Anytime I get in the pool, one of my kids jumps on my back and tries to drown me. I don't know why. But this is, this is, this is impractical. This is kind of scary. This is very humbling. We don't like to be wet in front of other people, do we? Isn't that weird? Don't you always have to explain why you're wet? I'm wet because, like earlier this week, I was testing out the baptismal to make sure it didn't leak. The first one leaked. We bought another one, long story short. But I had to reach in and get the drain plug out so my my arm was wet up to here. If anybody would have seen me, what is the first thing I would have said? The reason I'm wet, all right, because it's weird to get wet in front of people. So it's humbling on that level. It's impractical on that level. I imagine most of these people didn't bring a change of clothes or a nice terry cloth towel. All right? But they go out, they hear the message of John, and John says, if you really want to respond to this, come down here, confess your sins, and let me dunk you. Because that's the root of the word baptized, to be submerged, really to sink a ship. All right? We're going to sink this ship. Come on down. It's also humbling 
because these are good Jewish people. Don't we all think that we're good? We all sort of have that bad, you know, I'm a good person. I go to church. I'm a good person. These are folks who have been raised to believe that if they just do some traditions and engage in the right things, show up to synagogue on Saturday, that, that they're in with God. And those are people who have had God as part of their lifestyle for years going, I'm missing something. I've never repented. I've never confessed my sin. I've never, I've never really, really understood in my spirit that there is a gap between God and I, that there is a wall between him and I, and it's a wall or a gap of my own making. And I want that to come down. He's a holy and a good and a just God. And on my best day, I'm not very holy. And on my best day, I might be kind of good, maybe, not really. And I certainly have not always done just things. There's a wall between us. Good synagogue-going people get down in the water. That's humbling. It's also humbling to have somebody else plunge you beneath water. To let go and sort of let God's agent dunk you. That's sort of humbling. That's scary. I've got a little boy in the church that's in, 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 scared of getting baptized that I'm not going to bring him up quickly. And I said, I will only hold you down there as long as your sins demand. That's not what I said. <laughs> I said, you plug your nose and it's really quick. You won't even know you're under there, right? Right? But it's scary almost. There's a humbling aspect of saying, I'm not in charge of my body. Because in that moment, you're saying, I'm no longer in charge of my life. That's the method of John. Jesus, we're going to find out next week, engaged in this baptism to fulfill all righteousness. He expected that his followers would do this, this baptism of moral repentance. He expected it. Not only that, but when the church was born in Acts chapter 2, and the crowds in Jerusalem say, Okay, we believe in Jesus. What do we do now, Peter? What does Peter say to them? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, and receive the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit in weeks to come because the Holy Spirit is present at almost every baptism in Scripture. Repent and be baptized and receive the Holy Spirit. In fact, the last preaching of John, just below what we read, is the one is coming who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire meaning that Jesus is going to give us the Holy Spirit as part of his ministry to us. Remember that. So, they have this moment of humility that Jesus wants us to engage in. So what do we do with this? Well, of course we are to obey. We as Christians today, folks who are putting our faith in Jesus, need to engage in a baptism of moral repentance. You say, why? Jesus has already come and Jesus loves me. Why would I do that? You would do that for the very same reason that they did it then. Baptism prepares the way of the Lord and makes his path into your heart straight. You don't want the Lord Jesus to have to go around curves and turns to get right to your heart. Well, I'm not really into that, Jesus, so you're going to have to veer left. No, Jesus, I, I'm really not interested in doing that, so you're going to have to veer right. No, Jesus, I'm not quite sure that that's what I believe, so veer left again. The baptismal moral repentance is to say, 
my ways, my standards, my thoughts, the way I process my justifications, they're off. I'm going to reorient my entire life and heart towards the God who gave me breath, and I am going to make a straight path for his Messiah into my heart. That's the first thing that baptism is all about. Now, you might say, well, I've already got Jesus in my life. I, I come to church, and I, 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 I worship, and I get some things out of your messages, Pastor Matt, and I have some Jesus in my life. I don't know why I need to be baptized. My question to you is simple this morning. On whose terms is Jesus in your life? These are Jesus' terms. If you want a straight path for me into your life, be baptized. Do something physical to match what's going on spiritually. And isn't the word humility an important word in this entire thing? Baptism is such a humbling experience. You're getting wet in front of people. You're admitting that you're not a perfect person. Imagine that. You're letting someone else dunk you. And even though you've already maybe gone to church, you're saying there's something more to my faith than just sitting there. I can do something physically to match what's going on spiritually. So there's something very humbling in baptism, and it's something that God wants you to engage in to humble yourself. Because the Bible does say what? God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. And maybe engaging in this first act of humility before God gets you ready for all the subsequent acts of humility before God that he's going to expect from you. Maybe by by playing the game on his terms, you're going to receive all the blessing and benefit of learning to be a person of humility. And saying, I will get dunked in front of people. I will admit that my moral conduct has left me wanting and put a block between God and I. And I'm all right that Pastor Matt holds me down for a very short period of time. I'm okay with that because I recognize that if I operate in humility towards the Lord Jesus, I will be blessed. I'll receive all of what the Savior of the world has for me. Baptism humbles us, and it gets us ready to have a straight path into our lives. And we're accepting a new king and a new kingdom, of course. That's part of the message of John and of Jesus. By being baptized, we're saying categorically, once and for all, not that we'll never sin again. Who could claim that? We're saying that I am getting off the throne of my life, and Christ is getting on. That's that moment in time where you say, I am getting off the throne of my life, and Jesus is getting on, and these are his terms, and therefore I will do it. I'm off the throne. I'm getting knighted. And I belong to him now. Because we're not only to repent, but we're to accept the kingdom. Now the Pharisees and Sadducees, they weren't there. And that's a problem for us today. It's interesting that the participles are used there in this passage. When John looks at those Pharisees and Sadducees and says, Folks, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. You know, there's some of you sitting today, you need to be baptized because God's already doing great things in your life through the Lord Jesus, and you need to humble yourself and do it. But, but there's also some folks here that you were baptized. You've been baptized, but nobody could accuse you of bearing fruit in keeping with repentance right now. Because you're back to doing things your own way, by your own standards, and with your own justifications. It's time for you, just like them, 
They need to get off the throne so Jesus can get on. Some of you are stuck today. You're stuck in going to church and you're, you're sure that God loves you. You're sure that Christ wants what's best for you. But you've never engaged in this moral repentance. Maybe you engaged in a baptism of belonging. Yes, I, I, I want to be saved and I want to belong to the Lord Jesus. And we'll talk about that in a few weeks. But the concept that baptism is that opening round of bearing fruit and keeping with repentance, you missed it. And I'm not arguing that you need to be baptized again, necessarily. But what I am arguing, what I am questioning today, is is your life bearing fruit in keeping with repentance? Do you look like a person who operates by the morals and standards of the world? Because the Pharisees and Sadducees did a lot of religious stuff their morals and their standards did not belong to the Lord Jesus. You know, two of the coolest things that have happened in our last two baptisms here at VLC has been, and I'll explain what I mean by this in just a minute, there have been, in the last two baptisms at VLC, two dads that have led the way in having their family baptized. They got in the tank first. They say, why is that so cool, Pastor Matt? I think that's so cool because for whatever reason, men are so much more, in a general sense, there's always exceptions to the rule, men are so much more proud than ladies. And all the ladies said amen. Now, there are exceptions to the rule, and I know some of them, but, 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 but in a general sense, men are so much more proud. But I love when Dad gets in the tank and says, I, today, am admitting that I'm a sinner and I'm saved by the grace of Jesus. I want to belong to the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if Jesus said it, I'm going to do it. And I want to lead my family there to this place. And so proud of those gentlemen. So proud of them. Because of how humbling that is. To look at your kids and go, yeah, I need to be baptized too. And I'll lead the way. See, that's the spirit that John was looking for. A spirit that said, if the Lord says it, I'll do it. I'll obey. Because I don't want to operate in my standards and my ways anymore. I'll play by his rules. The good news is Jesus didn't give us a ton of them. But he did give us baptism. And he expects us to participate. Both by being baptized keeping that renunciation of our old ways in our hearts forever. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Heavenly Father, it's always a humbling word to encourage folks towards baptism. It's a humbling word because we know that we are all sinners saved by grace. But Lord, there's a powerful moment that takes place when we say, I renounce my old ways. I belong fully to the kingdom of the Lord Jesus. There's a power that happens when we get off the throne of our lives and ask Jesus to do it. Lord, we want straight paths for you, and we want you to do great work through us. Lord, that means that we need to bear fruit and keep it with repentance and humbling ourselves and saying, if that's God's way, 
Lord, for those who are wrestling with the concept of being baptized today, I pray that they would wrestle no longer. But Lord Jesus, you would come so alive in their hearts as you already are to remind them that there is power in that moment of saying, I'm off the throne. Lord Jesus, for, for all to see. And for those, Lord, who were perhaps baptized long ago, but today their religion is stale and dry. It does not have a vibrancy that says, if the Lord calls or commands, I will do and I will go. Lord, I pray that their hearts would turn towards you right now in this moment. Say, Lord, forgive me. I have done wrong. If you're in this place today and you want to bear some fruit in keeping with repentance, why don't you take a moment just between the Lord and you in this moment and say, Lord Jesus, too many times for my own glory. Lord Jesus, forgive me for that. And I will rest in you. Just do that with the Lord right now. Let him pray with you. pray these things today in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Would you stand with us today? And by us, I mean me. I love speaking of myself in the plural, because I'm an ego man. No, I'm kidding. I don't. A couple of things today. If you're interested in being baptized, if the Lord's laid that on your heart, do it. Do it. We're going to talk about other aspects of baptism in the coming weeks, and they all have implications for our relationship with God. It's not just a symbol. There's so much more. So we'll hear about more, but if you have questions, right as you walk out today, the ushers have some baptism handouts. If you'd like to know a little bit more about all the meaning for baptism, it's there. If you'd like to be baptized, right at the top of vlchurch.com, you can click on I Want to Be Baptized. When you sign up, I'll send you an email. It'll talk to you all about our baptism class on the 21st. I'll answer any questions that you have if you don't get your questions answered immediately. And uh, we'd love to baptize you. It is such a powerful moment. And the cool thing about being baptized is, is that we're not here to humiliate you, okay? Being baptized is humbling, not humiliating. What will happen when you're baptized here is that people will clap for you and they'll go nuts and they'll scream and they'll hoot and they'll holler, and it's going to be beautiful, all right? And you don't have to confess all your sins right in front of everybody. The act of baptism is admitting that you, you need to be cleansed by the Lord. So uh, if you want to confess all your sins, uh, see an elder after church. But uh, you don't have to do that either. But we, we encourage you, sign up. Sign up and be part of what the Lord has commanded. You'll be blessed that you go. You'll be blessed that you go. All right. Thank you, Lord, for your presence in this place today. Thank you that your word always has something to teach us. Lord, we pray that we would continue to look into it and that, Lord, you would continue the teaching, convincing, reproving, and correcting that we may be equipped every day. Send us now from this place in obedience to our Redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless.